Hey, we want to welcome you here tonight. And uh, for several of you, this is your first time here. And just want to let you know how grateful we are that you're here. My name's Derek, and uh, I'm the one that often gets made fun of from here, and that's that's okay. It's just hopefully a, a show of affection. But um, uh, excited that you're with us tonight. Tonight we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, we're all this talk about the Pope, and I don't know if you if you noticed or if you watched TV the last couple of days, but um, there's a new Pope, and so um, are you excited? <laughs> excited. Said about the new pope. Um, so, so we're actually going to take tonight and talk a little bit about the pope and Catholicism and um, how what we believe might be different from them. Some things that we agree on. Uh, believe it or not, there's more there than you might might think or believe. And so, once you know, if you're a first time, especially if you're first time with us tonight, or or you're not a not a regular, I want you to understand a couple of things tonight. We're going to talk tonight from a position of what it means to be an even an evangelical. Um, this church is a Southern Baptist church, and so we. Um, there's a few distinctives that we hold that make us Southern Baptist, but by and large, we fall within the evangelical community, and so um, we're going to kind of be talking from that perspective tonight, so I don't want you to get uh, upset or alarmed. That's, we're we're going to draw some distinctions and, um, and hopefully, hopefully encourage us all with, uh, with, with where we're at, but um, we're going to draw everything from the context of uh, the Bible because we believe the Bible is ultimately God's source for revelation and authority, and so that's what we're going to kind of be talking about tonight. So if you're with us tonight and you're you're, uh, you're uh, maybe from another faith tradition or p- perhaps maybe even from Roman Catholic, please don't feel that we're attacking you or, or if you have family that are that. Or, uh, we're, not gonna, we're not attacking um, any of that tonight. I just want you to want you know that it's no personal. Got, we all have friends. I have friends that are, um, that are committed Catholic believers. And so, uh, but we're going to talk some, and hopefully answer some of your questions. So as we talk through tonight, uh, be thinking in the back of your mind some questions that you may have. I may be able to answer them. I may have to get back with you on the answers. I'm, I'm not an expert in in Catholicism, but can help, hopefully help uh, lay, lay some groundwork for us. So here's what I want to do just before we do that. I'll, I want to watch a, a short little um, video clip, and then I'll, I'll try to kind of tie it together. Uh, it's about three minutes long, and so um, after, after, I'm, uh, after the video clip, hopefully I can try to tie it to uh, kind of some things we're talking about tonight. Okay? So watch the screens for about three minutes. Uh, one more thing. I'm sure those of you who, uh, who read are familiar with what Congress is calling the sequester. Do you know the sequester? Have you heard about this? Yeah? Okay. Most of you are lying. Um, but that's okay. Basically, to force Congress to work together on the budget, President Obama introduced 85, I think, billion dollars in spending cuts that neither political party wanted. All Congress had to do to avoid the budget cuts was reach a compromise. But they didn't, and now we have a mess on our hands. And I've heard a lot of people talking about this sequester, but I always wonder if people have any idea of what they're talking about. And that's why we're introducing a new segment called The Confusing Question of the Day. What this is is a, a confusing question we ask during the day. Okay? <laughs> so we went out on a Hollywood Boulevard today, and we asked pedestrians what they thought about Obama pardoning the sequester and sending it to Portugal, which... <laughs> makes no sense at all. Again, the question is, what do you think about Obama pardoning the sequester and sending it to Portugal? And let's see what the people said. What do you think about President Obama's decision to pardon the sequester and send it to Portugal? Um, I actually think it's a good idea. You know, Obama makes really good decisions, and I'm with him 100%. What do you think about President Obama's decision to pardon the sequester and send it to Portugal? I'm so grateful because Portugal should be protected at all costs. They have a constitutional right, and it should be protected. And that's what our president's for. 
Was it upsetting, especially in light of the fact that he did it last year and there was such outrage? You know, I have no idea about uh, about the timing of this event, and it just just appalls me that it's got to go to Portugal and not stay right here where we need the jobs. There are already six sequesters in Portugal. Do you think they really need another one? Well, absolutely not. I don't really think they need another one. That, that's. Uh, I mean, him just piling on another one isn't a great idea at all. So. What do you think about the fact that North Korea is developing its own sequester? That's pretty scary. Very scary. Did you hear that South Korea is developing their own sequester? I feel like this is just, is it a, I don't know what that is. So sure, let them, let them do it. Uh, my parents were killed by a sequester. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> so. It's like a terrace, so they're building like a robot terrace. Is that what's, yeah. No, that's not good, yeah. And what do you guys think about Obama's decision to pardon the sequester and send it to Portugal? Sequester what? I don't know, I just voted for him because he's black. I don't know about no sequester. So it's like a, it's like a terrorist robot, right? That's what it's like. That's my favorite line. <clears throat> um, so sometimes, sometimes, a lot of times when we start this whole discussion and talk about different faiths, and, and even honestly, if we're honest, sometimes even just within our own faith tradition and what we believe, uh, a lot of times we, we end up, we end up even, either having to face the reality that we really just honestly don't know we don't know, or we kind of have to fake it, right? We kind of have to fake it, and sometimes we get, sometimes we can get caught talking about things we don't, we don't really know um, all that much about. So tonight, the discussion is um, about the Pope, and more specifically, um, it, it, in order to talk about the Pope, we really have to talk about the differences between um, <clears throat> Protestant uh, evangelicalism. Okay, so we're going to use a few big words. We're going to try to keep them to a minimum, but but one of them is going to be Protestant evangelicalism, or 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 conservative evangelicalism, which is basically what our church is, kind of the broad category that, that our church is, is described in, and then, and then Roman Catholicism, okay? So is everybody with us so far? Roman Catholics, the Pope, the Vatican, uh, and, and, um, uh, and then there was a, a ginormous split, okay, in, in church history. We're going to boil down, like, you know, volumes and volumes and volumes of, of books and information that's been written, and we're going to boil it down to 15 or 20 minutes, but... Uh, essentially, <clears throat> essentially, there's a split in, in the church, uh, and, <clears throat> and uh, out of that, it was driven by a guy named Martin Luther, and out of that flows kind of two main streams of church history, and we're in kind of the second, uh, but, but really, we're going to argue that we're the kind of true mainstream, okay? Um, let me talk about some areas where, where we agree with Roman Catholics, okay? So when I say we, I'm talking about us, our church, as well as um, conservative kind of evangelical Christian beliefs, okay? Um, <clears throat> we, um, we believe first and foremost in, uh, in the Trinity, all right? An area of major agreement, and, and we have a lot of things in common. A lot of core central tenets to our faith are, are the same to Roman Catholicism. The first being the Trinity, all right? Who can tell me what the Trinity is? What is the Trinity? Just raise your hand. Yeah. 
Okay, it is a belief in who God is. What is what and who is God? All right? What and who is God? What what is God? Well, God is one God that exists in three persons, and they're all uh, but it's but it's one. So it's one God that has three persons. It's not three different gods. Uh, it's not just one God with, with just God the Father, but it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's one God. They have different roles. Um, it's not one God that operates in different three different modes. That's called modalism. That's not what we believe. But it's one God, three persons. Okay, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's huge. That's huge. Okay, you understand that puts us uh, that puts us in in very small company with the rest of the world. Okay, Buddhism, <clears throat> uh, Buddhism. Um, Islam, uh, Hinduism, okay, uh, any of those, any of those major, other major living world religions don't believe in the in the Trinity: God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Okay, so it's a huge point of agreement. Uh, another point of agreement is on the person of Jesus. Okay, the person of Jesus, who Jesus is, his his uh, his divine nature. Okay. The fact that he's 100% God and he's also 100% man. The fact that he was born of a virgin. The fact that he lived a life, that he, uh, a, a real life, that he performed miracles. All the miracles that are recorded in scripture. Uh, that his death, his burial, and his resurrection, his ascension into heaven. All of those facts about Jesus, we agree. Okay, we agree. They, they, they believe the exact same thing we do. We believe the exact same thing they do. On some, on some ethical issues, not necessarily theological, but just the 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 outflow or kind of the natural progression of our what we believe about doctrine uh, lines up too, especially in the area, in two specific areas. One, in the area of, of human life, okay? And, and honestly, uh, at, throughout some points in history, uh, the Roman Catholic Church and Catholic, the Catholic movement has been uh, stronger in some of these areas than, than us. And not really us, but really our ancestors and people that have come before us. Okay, so the, the issue of human life, for example, um, what what life is uh, the the, uh, uh, the 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 landmark decision Roe versus Wade, for example, right, and the issue of abortion and, and human life, uh, the the Catholic Church and Catholic thinkers and Catholic um, the, the Catholic Church and believers, we we, we line up usually lock stock one hundred percent on what what is human life and issues related to. Uh, abortion related, related to end of life issues like um, like euthanasia. Okay, everybody know what I when I say that word? Euthanasia is is basically the process of allowing somebody to to kill themselves or take drugs that would that would end their life. Okay, um, before before naturally is done so. So in issues of human life, also in the issue of human rights. Okay, human rights, slavery uh, being the most recent, uh, as well as. Um, as well as just global human rights issues. Uh, Mother Teresa, for example, is a famous, uh, a famous um, uh, Catholic figure who, who, who really advocated for uh, the caring of, and, and feeding of poor uh, in, in, in all over the world. Right? And, and they, they do Catholic charities and Catholic uh, missions in, in Africa, uh, in South America, in Asia, Central and Southeast Asia, do an incredible job meeting physical needs, okay? Meeting physical needs, food, water, clothing, medicine, uh, all those kinds of things. They're phenomenal on human rights, and we should partner with them, and we do partner with them for, for all of these causes, okay? Human life, human rights, uh, and sometimes, in some ways, 
and at that different points of human history, they've done it even better than we have, more compassion uh, and, and, and a better record, okay? And they've raised a ton of money to do so. Um, <clears throat> in more recent times, uh, issues of modernity, okay, or modern thought, okay, issues of modern thought, especially uh, the, the, the existence of something called objective truth. All right, so just hang with me while we're working through some of this kind of metaphysical stuff. But the whole idea of objective truth, which is, which is huge, it's, it's the idea that of how we know things, okay? How we know things to be true uh, or not. There's two different ways that you can view truth. One is objectively, that is, there's an outside standard to which we appeal uh, as something is true, or there's subjective truth, which means it's not an outside factor or an outside uh, body or an outside um, definition of what truth is. It's all subjective. It's all personal, okay? That whatever's true is true for you, but whatever's true is for me is true for me, okay? Objective truth, Ten Commandments, okay? These are standards, and you either appeal to them and you hit them or you don't, okay? Subjective truth, 9-11. You think it's bad, to fly airplanes into buildings, I think it's good, okay? There's a tension there. I'm not saying I actually think it's good. I'm using myself as an example, okay? Everybody's like, I knew you were a terrorist. No, okay? <laughs> Absolutely not. But that's the difference, okay? Objective, we're appealing to a standard. We're appealing to a standard. Thou shall not kill, right? That means I can say flying buildings into airplanes is wrong, and I'm appealing, I'm appealing, did I? All right. Well, that's wrong too. Okay. So there. Okay. <laughs> but it would also be wrong to fly airplanes into buildings, which is probably in honesty what I meant to say. Okay. Objective truth. We're appealing to a standard. All right. We're appealing to a standard. Subjective truth. It, we set the standard. They've, they've been with us. All right. They're with us and we're with them on truth is objective. It's something that's knowable. It's something that's obtainable. We can know it. We can understand it. We can touch it, see it, feel it. It's something that's, it's not personalized. Okay, it's not personalized. It's, it's objective. All of those things, okay, are areas where we disagree. So let me give you, let me give you four areas, though. Four, and so I'm not going to cover all of Roman Catholicism. I'm going to try to do I'm gonna, four areas in the next 10 minutes, okay, and then leave a little bit of time for us to ask some questions. Okay, sound good? And then within that, I'm going to weave in what is the role and responsibility of the Pope? Four areas where we disagree, all right? Number one, authority. Authority. The first area where there's major, major, major disagreement is authority. Catholics do believe the Bible. They have three primary sources of authority. They believe the Bible. They just don't believe the Bible is enough or all of it, okay? The Bible's part of their authority. It's one of their, one of their, one of their streams of authority, okay? Okay. Uh, so, and that's the Christian Bible that we, the 66 books that we read uh, and preach and teach and study and memorize, okay? That's the Bible. That's one of their streams of authority. The second one, okay, is church tradition. This is the teaching of the apostles that, the, the, the teachings and writings of the apostles that, that the church uh, and, that, and that at the very beginning of, of the church age were, were not in the original scriptures, okay, that, that aren't in the 66 books. Called the Apocrypha. It's called the Apocrypha. Okay, so it's a teaching. Uh, it's a collection of teachings of people who were who were contemporaries of Jesus, uh, and and th that that were not included in the Bible, uh, and that most some of which 
uh, severely contradict the Bible, they include those works, uh, and, it's, and it's called church tradition. Okay, It's called church tradition. That's the second kind of avenue of authority. The third avenue of authority is called the magisterium. Okay, It's called the magisterium. That's the current, and this, this applies throughout the course of history, that's the current, basically the pope and bishops, and what they think about the other two streams of authority. Okay, so it's the Bible, it's other writings that happened around the time of Jesus and around the time of the apostles when the Bible was written, and then it's the entire collection, the body of work of popes and bishops since the early church and what they think about the other two streams of authority. But it's elevated to, to the kind of, to the same level, okay? So when, when um, the, new, the new pope is Pope Francis I, okay, when he, when he decides um, to, and this is going to be kind of confusing, and you just got to hang on, and we'll try to clarify at the end. When he decides to speak for the church, so when he's ordering like a cheeseburger or like, you know, cereal or whatever, that's not considered, like, that's not considered holy in, in part of the church teaching. But when he's sitting, and this, I know this sounds, just, just got to hang with me, okay? When he's sitting in the chair, when he's acting in the office of the Pope and speaking about spiritual things, and when he writes, it's called, it's when he, when he, it's called when he speaks ex cathedra, okay? When he's right, it is, it is on the same level as the scriptures. It's on the same level as church tradition, and it's on the same level of, of everything else that he said that other popes have said before him, okay? Does that sort of make sense? I know it, may, it maybe doesn't make sense completely, but do you understand what I'm saying? When he's writing and speaking ex cathedra, it means that he's speaking in God's place, and, and, that, and his words carry the same weight as Scripture, okay? So this is a major point of disagreement. It's a major point because of a number of things. And I'm going I'm to give you some Scriptures. I'm not going to read all of them, but I'm going to give you some Scriptures um, but, and, and just kind of give you the general overview of what the Bible actually says about our authority. Um, the first is from Psalm chapter 119, verses 99 through 105, okay? It talks about how the Holy Spirit uh, is the only thing needed for us to interpret Scripture, God's words can speak directly to us, okay? Uh, the Bereans in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, the Bereans uh, tested what the Apostle Paul was saying by Scripture. And they affirmed that what the Apostle Paul was saying to them was true because it lined up with, with the Scriptures of old, okay, the Old Testament uh, Scriptures. Jesus in Mark chapter 7 warns against adding to uh, or, or twisting the words of Scripture. He, he, warns, uh, he warns his followers not to do that. Paul does the same thing in Colossians 2, verses 8, and he actually uses the word tradition. It's interesting. He actually uses the word tradition, not to elevate tradition to the same place uh, of that of Holy Scripture or to the words of Jesus. Uh, Peter does the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. Okay, 1 Peter chapter 1 Verse 18, all these things would be good things for you to write down uh, or take notes uh, and, and look up. So three different streams of authority versus one. We have one ultimate authority, okay, and that is God's, God himself, and he reveals himself through his word. Three streams for Catholicism. Uh, number one, the Bible. Number two, church tradition. Number three, the magisterium or the, the teaching, collective teaching of the bishops and popes. Okay, make sense? And, and, uh, and, and you can get in those, they have, the popes have, this is where it gets kind of weird. Okay, the popes and the bishops have changed over the course of the last, you know, 1,800 years or so. 
have changed dramatically and have overruled each other and have rescinded kind of like executive orders for the presidency, those of you familiar, they can kind of trump one another on these kind of peripheral or sometimes um, really substantive issues. And, and, and ultimately, um, they end up putting the magisterium as the most important thing because it's the, the most important, it's the most relevant for today. Does that make sense? So the truth is not timeless. It's, again, it's somewhat, um, somewhat subjective, okay? Second major point of disagreement, um, Mary, the role of Mary, okay? Um, within, basically, to, to, to boil down um, what, what we, and again, I'm speaking we collectively, First Baptists and conservative evangelicals, um, Mary is to be, <clears throat> is to be um, applauded as, a, as an honorable woman, okay? And as the mother of Jesus, uh, but doesn't hold any official place in our theology or in our, in our, worse, our day-to-day worship, okay? Mary in the Catholic Church is, is exalted and honored and holds an official office. Uh, and they change some things about her and about her story, about her biography. Um, they, they believe that Mary, um, Mary was, was, uh, didn't have any sin in her at all, okay? That she never, that she never sinned, that she was absolved or or that she was totally preserved from even original sin, sin that we're, that we're born into. Um, they believed in something called the perpetual virginity of Mary, okay, that she remained uh, a virgin, um, even though she, she, it was very clear historically that she had other children. Uh, they believed in the perpetual virginity of Mary, and that, again, is, is having to do with keeping her as a sinless person, a sinless being, so that she can be elevated um, to her her official capacity, which in her official capacity is she is a co-mediator or she's a co-kind of gatekeeper, so to speak, uh, or um, she, she collaborates with Jesus for salvation. So in heaven, um, Mary actually, in Catholic view, Mary never dies. She ascended just like Jesus did. She didn't die a physical death. And she, um, so she has a divine nature to her and she co-labors or collaborates, works together with Jesus to achieve salvation for people, okay? Um, and this is, this is very, very different and very, very contrary to what, to what we see as a plain text reading of the scriptures um, in, in what we believe about Mary, okay? So two, two, two things, authority, uh, Mary. The, second, the third area is sin, all right? It's sin. <clears throat> now, am I, am I making sense so far, so, so to speak? Okay, I, I understand it may not all... Makes sense, makes sense, but am I, are you understanding the words that are coming out of my mouth, so to speak? Okay, sin. <clears throat> sin has two basic categories in, um, in Roman Catholicism. In our, in, in our view of the scriptures, there is no, there's no category of sin. All sin separates us from God, and all sin is rebellion against God, and all sin, uh, all sin is, uh, affects us, affects our eternal destiny um, in, in the same way. Okay, um, there are two fairly rigid classifications of sin. They're called mortal sin and venial sin in Roman Catholicism. Mortal sin, if you've heard the seven deadly sins, if you've heard that phrase somewhere, if you picked that phrase up somewhere in, in pop culture, mortal sin uh, are basically, you can kind of think of them as first degree sins. Okay, these are breaking 10 commandments. Okay, the ethical kind of outflows of the 10 commandments. So this is, uh, if you bear false witness, okay, if you lie, if you steal, if you commit murder, if you commit adultery, um, if you, so these are kind of first degree sins. If you do so with intent, 
right? If you, if you think about it, if you premeditate it, um, and if you know that it's wrong, you're talking about a mortal sin, okay? A mortal sin actually removes you from a state of grace, state of, your salvation, okay? Kind of takes you from being a person who's saved. They're not going to use this term. They're going to use the terms under grace or out of grace, okay? But it takes you from being saved or, or it removes grace from you, okay? And we'll talk about the process of how you get back into grace here in just a second. But it, it is... It is mortal sins, very bad, knocks you out of a state of grace. Venial sins, misdemeanors, okay? The legal equivalent of kind of misdemeanors. Uh, somewhat inconsequential, maybe they weren't intentional, maybe they weren't things that you necessarily planned to do. These are little white lies. These are um, maybe, these are traffic tickets, okay? They're, 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 they're things that, that maybe they don't hurt anybody. Maybe they don't explicitly break a Ten Commandment. Uh, these, are, these are kind of misdemeanor-type sins, okay? Little white lies, little things. Um, okay, so two very, very, and they don't take you out of a state of grace, okay? They don't take you out of a state of grace within Roman, Roman Catholicism. Um, the, the scriptures um, are very, very clear, okay? Romans 3, chapter 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. All of us knock them out. John chapter 10, uh, 27 through 29, okay? <clears throat> that, that absolution of sin comes from Christ and from Christ alone. And there is no sin that you can commit in the body or outside of the body that can keep you, uh, that can keep you or, or remove you from the, from the hand of, of Christ, okay? That, that once you're saved, your salvation is secured and it's sealed by the Holy Spirit, uh, and you, are, you belong to Christ, and there's no sin that you can commit in the body or outside the body uh, that can remove you from the hand and love of Jesus, okay? All right? Um, so that's sin. The fourth area is the area of sacraments, okay? And the sacraments, there's seven sacraments, and these are actually the, the things that you do that keep you in a state of grace, okay? It's kind of the process. It's the, it's the howl of salvation, and it is the, the process that you Get saved in the process that you stay saved. Okay? Kind of makes sense? Sacraments are how you get saved and how you stay saved. Um, and again, they're, they're not going to use the same terminology. I'm kind of cross-mixing some vocab to help us better understand what they're, what they're doing, what they're talking about. Um, the first sacrament is baptism. Okay? For us, baptism is, is a sign. It's a symbol of something. Uh, of, of a, it's an outward expression of a heart change that happens within us after we acknowledge the fact that we're sinners and trust in Christ for salvation, okay? You don't have to be baptized uh, to go to heaven, uh, but it's an outward expression that helps kind of tell the world, and it's a way for you to identify uh, with believers' past, all right? Uh, but it kind of tells a story. It's a picture of life, death to, death to old way of life, and resurrection, so it kind of pictures the gospel. Baptism uh, for the Catholic Church happens uh, almost immediately after birth, okay, usually within a few days. Uh, and, and that baptism, uh, that baptism is not symbolic, but it's functional. It washes away original sin, and it commits the child to, to, uh, to, to God, and it becomes, uh, it becomes, at that point, a saved person. You've been baptized, and once you've been baptized, you're in a state of grace, okay? You're in a state of grace. Um, so that's the first sacrament. The second sacrament is the sacrament of confirmation, okay? Confirmation typically happens at or, at or around the age of 12, 12 to 14, okay? 
it's a class-based, um, it's, it's basically classes that you go to, okay, classes that you go to uh, that teach you about Roman Catholicism, that teach you Roman Catholic theology, uh, and, and it, uh, it kind of is a mature uh, stamp of approval for the church to say, um, this person understands what it means to be Catholic, um, you, you, do, you do your first confession, um, you're allowed to, um, to take the Eucharist or take the Lord's Supper. It would, they don't call it the Lord's Supper, but you take the Eucharist, we'll talk about it in just a second. Um, but it's your kind of, it's your kind of uh, adult entrance into the church, so to speak, okay? And so around, again, around 11 to 14, something like that, you'll go through this process, and it, it kind of ushers you into uh, full maturation or adulthood in the church, the third is the Eucharist, okay? The Eucharist is uh, similar like what we'd call the Lord's Supper. It's a part of every single worship service. Uh, the priest administers it. It's very important the priest administers it because the priest uh, is the person that is ordained by God and has the, the power and kind of is the lifeline or the conduit, so to speak, um, to the power of God. And when the priest offers a little a, a wafer, a cracker, um, so we believe the Lord's Supper uh, again, it's kind of like baptism. It's a sign. It's a symbol. Jesus said it's representative of a meal that Jesus had with his followers, and it re- reminds us of the broken body and the blood that was shed, was, that was shed for us. Okay, um, when the priest offers the wafer, they believe in something called transubstantiation. It's a big word that basically means the wafer when it hits your tongue becomes the physical flesh of Jesus. Okay, it becomes the physical flesh of Jesus because Jesus said. This is my body, right? Jesus said, this is my body. So take it literally, this is my body. And when you take that wafer to the power of the priest, the power of God to the priest, the wafer becomes the flesh of Jesus and you are actually eating and consuming the flesh of Jesus and you're, you're, you're being obedient to Christ in that moment, okay? And so grace is administered through this process of following Jesus, all right? Huge, huge, huge difference. You're actually saved by, and stay saved by eating the wafer and taking and believing that this is the broken body of Jesus, okay? Um, Penance or confession, this is probably the most pop culture kind of reference thing. This is the thing you see in movies and TV shows, and you sit, and then, you know, uh, bless me, Father, for I have sinned, and, you know, you're not seeing the person. They're listening. The priest is listening to your confession. They're offering, uh, they're, they're the conduit of grace to God the Father, Okay, so you're talking to this person, and this person's going on your behalf to God the Father. Okay, uh, we believe the, the the Bible teaches very very clearly. First um, Timothy chapter two, verse five; Hebrews chapter nine, verse fifteen; Matthew chapter eleven, twenty-eight through thirty. There's one mediator between man and God. It's Christ Jesus. Anybody can go to the throne of grace through Christ. You don't need a, another person. Uh, that person, we believe, has no more special access than, than, than you or I, okay? Um, and so they're saved by that and through that. <clears throat> uh, the anointing of the sick, which is done with a special oil, it's only done by priests or by, um, again, a priest or by bishops. Uh, and, and, and we believe we, any of us, because of one mediator, any of us can pray for any others. We can anoint uh, with oil and believe in God's power to pray and to heal uh, and, and because we can go to, to God through Christ. Um, the holy orders, the, the, again, you kind of see the, the hierarchy of the priests and the, the bishops, that those are the, the, the ministries entrusted to those men, and they're in the direct lineage, spiritual lineage 
of the Apostle Peter, uh, and then finally marriage. Okay, marriage um, marriage is a means of grace, uh, and because it because it actually um, you have the same capacity. They believe that marriage holds the same capacity of love that Christ has for the church. Okay, so they take the passages like Ephesians chapter five uh, and other passages that say that you're to love your spouse as Christ loved the church and that those, that relationship actually keeps you and, and sanctifies you in a state of grace and keeps you saved to a certain extent, okay? Does that make sense? Let me pause right there and just say it's 833, uh, and so if you'll give me just a couple minutes to answer a couple questions, and I'll give you one or two scriptures that I want to, uh, one scripture I want to hit uh, to draw some distinction, and then I can stay after and do some Q&A. Let me, let me just kind of pause just for one second. What questions do you have? I flew through a lot of stuff quickly. What, what questions do you have? Yeah. Yeah, because they're set apart. They're different. Apostle Peter, um, they're, they're in Peter's line, and, and they, they would say that um, they, are, they are married to God. They're married to the ministry, and um, and they don't need marriage because they're they're literally married to and they're and they're um, they're called and and the church is equipped and identified them as as being special and set apart for that purpose. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Purgatory. We didn't talk about the afterlife because our views to to most people is just as confusing as theirs. But basically, yeah, they believe in. Um, ultimately, okay, ultimately, if you closely read um, the, the, something called Vatican II, which is the 1967 uh, magisterium or teaching of the church, basically says that ultimately anybody who believes in a monotheistic religion, even if it's Buddha, even if it's Islam, or even if it's, if they believe in a one God religion anywhere in the world, that after a certain amount of purgatory, God is going to graciously save all those people who ultimately just, just express some entrance or, or some belief in God. Okay, that's, that's, based, that's what they actually believe. Um, that's, that's what Vatican II says. But purgatory is uh, very, 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 the only people, from my understanding, my only people, the only people that, that die and go straight to heaven are, are saints. Okay? Um, and, and so everybody else, for a certain period of time, goes to purgatory, and how long you stay, and how 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 um, destructive and discomforting your time is there, depends on to what degree you kept the sacraments, um, and and then what what the priest would during like during your confession, what the priest would have given you to do in terms of saying your hail marys. Um, look, the practice of indulgences is still in use in, in the Catholic Church today. Okay. Uh, it's different. It's not as crude as it was in the 1600s when they were building St. Peter's Basilica, but it's, but it's still in practice today. The fact that you can do certain things to, or pay certain, uh, donate money to charity or uh, to do certain things to absolve yourself of sin, that's still very much in practice and play. Uh, that was reaffirmed by, by Pope John Paul or Pope Benedict in 2005. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. Um, I'm familiar with the story, but I, I honestly don't remember if I saw the movie or not. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's very, especially in Latin America and South America, it's very common to go to these different cathedrals and different um, different 
temples basically of, of you've heard these stories of like grilled cheeses with the you know the Virgin Mary on them and stuff you know and these different these different um, holy sites where 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 they'll uh, climb hundreds of stone staircases uh, on their knees um, on, on their knees to, to to offer prayers and they'll do it several times um, to to absolve themselves of sin um, yeah it's very sad yeah the holy water um, like for baptism you mean Outside of the, the church, do, do all the people do it? Some do. Yeah, I, I'm honestly not sure. I can look into it. I'm honestly not sure. Yeah. No. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. They're kind of like a speakerphone, sort of. No, no, I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be, they're basically, they're, 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 they're literally representing God, okay, and they're, and they're, they're, um, they're, they're, they are offering the forgiveness of sin, and and I mean, so that's what I mean, Savannah. When I say they're they're important and, and God's representative, they really are God's representative. And you're praying, you're praying to God, but you're praying through them, and they're they're the conduit. They're they're very much and really only. Yeah, and really only through them. Yeah. So, so when we say we have one mediator, we have a high priest, right? A high priest that Jesus is our high priest. That's Hebrews all about Jesus being our high priest. That's what we're saying. We're saying that we, we don't need any other human person except for Jesus. Jesus is our representative to God the Father. Okay. Yeah. Pope, cardinals. Um, and then, um, and then uh, th- there are archbishops. There are I, I don't I'm not exactly sure the hierarchy, but there th- basically there are. My understanding is there's um, much like a, a global conglomerate of CEO. There's a basically a CEO, regional vice presidents, um, area vice presidents, and, and all the way down to different uh, dioceses or, or collections of small churches within a city or, or a region. Yeah. And it kind of depends on, you know, um, New York has a higher concentration, obviously, than like Chattanooga. And so I don't know exactly how the structure, I think it changes from sit, different region. But, yeah. but all of, all the bishops are popes, are, are, are not popes, are priests. Um, and they're basically promoted, essentially. Okay. Any questions? Yeah. Yeah, they're voted from from basically um, from uh, essentially they're they're promoted from the the whatever the level is above them, um, and then like just recently they they went through five rounds of voting of the all of the cardinals, okay, which are the second second rung down from the pope. The cardinals choose from amongst themselves and elevate a, a pope, okay, and he becomes the leader of the entire thing. All the churches, all the cardinals, all the archbishops, Catholic charities, all the hospitals, I mean, all of it that within the church that all falls ultimately to him. And we're talking billions of dollars under his control. Billions. Like billions on billions. I mean, big time money. 
Any questions? Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, right. Um, I think that's more of, more of a conspiracy theory than, than like an actual teaching. Yeah. Okay. Guys, if you could put Ephesians chapter two up on the screen for me and we'll close with this. Okay. Ephesians chapter two. If I want you to remember any scripture from tonight in terms of how you relate to Catholics or how you kind of draw some distinction, um, this is what I want you to kind of remember. Okay. And then I'll pray for us. And we'll be dismissed. And then if you have some other questions about Catholicism, then I'd be happy to walk you through kind of everything. So Ephesians chapter 2, and and here's what it says. And you were dead in the trespasses uh, and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, the sons of disobedience. we, we, We were all born in sin, and we all have sin, okay? Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, of the mind, and we're by, chil- by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. All of us share the same sin problem, the same sin nature, okay? So all of us are in this together, and we all sin, and we're all deserving of the same, uh, the same ultimate punishment for our sin. Verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with, with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. God initiates and God reaches down and gives us Christ and gives everybody universal access to Christ and by grace you have been saved okay so it is by grace not of our own works let's gonna talk about that in just a second by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seats us with him in the heavenly places um, in Christ Jesus we come up to God through Christ by God's grace and we're all co-equals so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us. This is God showing kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through what? Faith. It is our faith and trust in Jesus and not in ourself that saves us. It is by grace that you have been saved um, <clears throat> through faith uh, and is not of your own doing. Underline that. If you have your Bible, you've got a pen. It is not of your own doing. It's not anything that you can do or accomplish on your own merit. Not as a result of works. It is, uh, it is a gift of God, not as a result so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for his good works, with which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. We go from wrath to workmanship of God and workmanship in Christ because of our faith and trust in Jesus, not, a, not anything else that we can do or accomplish. And ultimately, Roman Catholicism, ultimately, it's a works-based religion, okay? It's a works-based religion because it's Jesus plus all these other things. It's Jesus plus all these other things. Father in heaven, God, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for the students. Thank you for the scriptures, which clearly show us and teach us how salvation is accomplished and how much you love us in Christ. God, I pray that you would help us to, 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 remind, to be reminded that we can always come to you, the throne of uh, the, the throne of grace by, by and through Christ. And, and God, I pray tonight, there may be students here tonight, Lord, that if they're intrigued uh, by this, this idea of knowing you and being one with you through a relationship with Jesus, you would not permit them to leave before they talk to somebody uh, or talk to one of us about how to know Jesus the way we know Jesus. 
And so, God, we do pray uh, ultimately for the millions and millions and millions of those uh, who, 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 uh, who don't know Jesus, some of whom uh, even raised in a Catholic church. God, I pray that you would lead them to salvation through the truth that they know about you and, and the hope that can be found in Jesus. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If you have any questions, come see me. I'm happy to talk a little further. Have a safe night tonight, okay? Have a safe night. We'll see you.